O God, who instructs the hearts of your faithful by the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to be truly wise and live as your people through Christ our Lord. Amen. This Sunday is Christ the King, and recently we were reminded of the roles and pageantry of royalty as we acknowledge and mourn the loss of Queen Elizabeth II. For those Anglophiles among us, the news, though expected, brought sorrow and some confusion as to how the monarchy would be reshaped and perceived around the world with the deeply beloved Queen's passing. The preparations for that day had been made years before, and the finery, solemnity, and words were truly fit for a queen. The largest bell at Westminster Abbey told, told 96 times, one for each year of the queen's life. Crowds lined the road and were kept at a distance from the queen's coffin and the royal family. Heathrow Airport airport joined the nations in two minutes of silence by suspending all operations. The national anthem of God Save the Queen changed to God Save the King, and the mournful tones of a single bagpipe played by pipe major Paul Byrne concluded the funeral. For decades, the monarch had been awakened to the sound of bagpipes played underneath her window as a personal alarm clock. Indeed, it was truly fit for a queen. And today is Christ the King Sunday, and the gospel reading doesn't sound like it's fit for a king at all. It offers us nothing of the pomp and circumstance that surrounds the presence of royalty. Today's gospel reminds us of the crucifixion, not a scripture that speaks easily to Christ as king, when the traditional imagery of kings and royalty comes to mind. This is a king who is not set apart from the crowd, but is in the middle of it. He is taunted, condemned, abused by systems of power, yet he maintains his place of ministry, and he offers forgiveness and a very, very generous welcome. Jesus, the king of creation and eternity, has endured so much to get to this point in scripture. Yet he refuses to condemn those who condemn him. His words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Imagine being able to say those kinds of words when you're in that kind of agony. When you knew before the beginning of time that this would be your portion and yet he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. His last words to another human being before his death were words of hope, inclusion, forgiveness. This is not a normal king. Because he reigns over a kingdom that is also not normal. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom it doesn't have guards at the door to determine who comes in and who, is come, who comes out, but it is lavish in its welcome. 
It has compassion on those who cause harm. It is filled with deep, unending love. It recognizes the pain of those around it, even when suffering great pain itself. That is not a normal kingdom. But this is the kingdom that we have aligned ourselves with. It's a kingdom that has different rules and requirements. Throughout the ministry of Jesus, he told his followers parables of the extravagant grace of God, of the father who runs to welcome his lost son, of the shepherd who seeks the lost sheep, of the debtor who is forgiven much, of the wedding feast where everyone is invited and even if guests don't come, will scour high and low to make sure everyone knows they have a place at the table of the Lord, of the pearl of great price worth everything, of the compassionate and brave man from Samaria, the Samaritan. All through his earthly ministry, Jesus spoke of the kingdom that he was a part of, and in his death, he demonstrated with his own body what that kingdom looks like until the very end. As we sit this week for Thanksgiving, we remember all the good things we have received and also some of the struggles that have made us what we are and brought us together. Many of us have traditions and customs that we look forward to each Thanksgiving. I will share two of ours. From my family of origin, Thanksgiving held an interesting little ritual called we will share the worst moment of your year. <laughs> and if they didn't know your worst moment, they remembered it from the year before. <laughs> now, I was kind of a private and rather shy child, and so they didn't have a lot to share for me. So they reached way back to when I was about eight years old, and you can imagine hearing that for 20 years. For me, it was a nightmare I had. I thought there was a rat sitting on my chest, and I tried to swipe it away, but every time I swiped it, the rat came back, because the rat was my hand that had fallen asleep. <laughs> and they thought it was hilarious, and that was part of our Thanksgiving tradition, the imaginary rat story. We have other traditions, though, that were quite a bit better, like see how many more dishes we could add to the table than we had the year before. We teasingly say that our family tree has one branch. It's really small. My mother was, had one sister. My dad was an only child. My aunt had two children. My mother had four. There wasn't a lot. But that never stopped our family. We thought we needed a 22-pound turkey along with a ham and chicken and fish, just in case. And then we would have potatoes, baked potatoes, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, and sweet potato casserole. In addition, we needed to have greens. You know, you need the roughage. So we had greens of kale, collards, and mustards all mixed together along with a salad. So there would be greens and then, you know, homemade bread and homemade rolls. Needless to say, that occurred after we had an appetizer, probably three or four different kinds, and of six or eight 
desserts. There was no possible way we could get through such a lavish feast. And I learned later the sacrifices my parents made to make sure that that would be our memory of Thanksgiving, no matter what the financial situation was. It was an expression, oh, I forgot, mac and cheese, always mac and cheese. They would never forgive me. And the story now we tell about my, older, my younger sister is the year she decided to make mac and cheese, as was her custom, but she decided to make it better and healthier. Thanksgiving is not the time to eat healthy, it's the time to eat joyfully, and we have plenty of other days for that. So what she chose to do, and yes, it is an abomination, is she put chopped steamed broccoli in the mac and cheese, and we gasped along with you. <laughs> I hope she doesn't see this one. She'll kill me. <laughs> Nevertheless, because of this travesty that she placed on the table, she was banned from making macaroni and cheese, and I was assigned it. Well, I do thanks, I do Christmas, I do the whole Christmas, and I don't believe that I should have to do Thanksgiving dish as well. So if she changed the recipe and got out of it, I would too. <laughs> so what I did was I added smoked Gouda to it. Yeah, they liked it, and they decided that was the new tradition. So I gave my sister the recipe and said, do it yourself. But each of us have memories about what it is like, some good and some bad, as we sit at table and as we sit at Thanksgiving and remember the good things that we have received and some of the struggles, whether we have much or whether we have little, we always have something to be thankful for. We have life, we have strength, Maybe it's waning a bit, but it's still there, and we're still here, and we can hear, and we can see, and we can move. We have life and health and strength. We have love from a heavenly Father who gave all because of his love for us. We have a king who is consistent in mercy and forgiveness, forgiveness that is always freely offered. So my prayer for all of us as we end this liturgical year and look forward to the season of holy waiting and anticipation that Advent offers, that we reflect on the words of Paul that he writes the Colossians, that in the days of head, that we would be made strong with all strength that comes not from ourselves, but from the glorious power that Christ exhibited in choosing to be a king unlike any other. I pray that even in pain, we would find the power of forgiveness. I pray that we would be prepared to endure everything with patience and love. That in the middle of it all, that we choose a joyful thanksgiving, not one day, but every day. That we remember the tribes that mourn and call it a day of mourning because of what they have suffered, and that we are strengthened to do something about it beyond saying we're on their land. That even while alone, we would remember that we are part of something greater that yields an internal inheritance. And that as a people who are rescued and forgiven, we will be the beacons of forgiveness in a world that has lost its way.